If you don't know anything about compassion, um, if your eyesight's good, you can see the compassion word. Our, our mission statement is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And that, in a nutshell, is really what we are about. Releasing children from poverty, all in the name of Jesus. And uh, I'll unpack that in a little while for those of you that, that don't know. Move on the, the next slide, just as a, a thank you, really, for uh, the fact that you are, as a, as a church, supporting over 97 children. Thank you on behalf of each of those children. Each of those children represents a family. They also represent local communities. And uh, by sponsoring them, you are making a difference um, hugely in their lives. For the last two weeks, I've had a, a former sponsored child staying with me, and I've been taken around to different, different churches. Her name is Newt, and she uh, is from Thailand. And just hearing her story again and again, that um, she now sponsors two children. She supported her sister through university, and she helps her family, who won't know poverty because she was sponsored. Isn't that fantastic? Like, it's why I love what I do. It's just, it not only makes a difference, she's just, just finished three years Bible college training in New Zealand and now going back to Thailand to provide curriculum for um, children's ministry for churches because there's very little available in Thai. Because somebody went to a table at the end of a service and said, I'm going to sponsor her. And, and the ripple effect that goes on and on. And um, I just never tire of um, the encouragement, the excitement, and uh, the, the thrill there is from seeing a life change and knowing it's not just that life, but the ripple effect on her family and beyond that. So for the, the 97 children that you are investing in, thank you. Thank you. You know, not all those children will have a newt story. It might be like the first child I sponsored. He left the program when he was 14. I'd visited him in his home. I'd met his family, and he decided I didn't want to be part of this anymore. I was devastated. But it made me think, you know, we are giving, if you're a parent here, and maybe an older parent like me, maybe not all your children are walking with Jesus. But you've invested in them. They've maybe come up through church, and they've made a choice for this point in life praying that that will change for the future. And it's just the same for the children you sponsor. But you give them a choice they would never have if you didn't do that. And that's, again, what I love about compassion. You're giving an option for them to hear about Jesus, to receive his love through those around him, around them, and um, that can make a huge difference. And who knows what will happen down the track. On the next slide, that releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name, I'll just break that down into, into our, what we call our three C's. The first one, we are Christ-centred. And again, I was a pastor, Church of Christ pastor, for 10 years before um, doing this role. And it was one of the things that attracted me to compassion in our local church setting. Before I ever did this, I was a local pastor um, interested in mission and, and compassion got my attention. Because they were Christ-centred, they're all about Jesus. And uh, compassion as a whole organisation now sponsoring over 2 million children, working in 25 countries, working out of 12 countries. Um, I can say that we're about Jesus because we think the best way to see children freed from poverty is introduce them to the Saviour. And we don't want to ever soft-pedal that fact. We want Jesus always, his name, to be there in everything that we're about. Secondly, we're child-focused because 
if we want to see real change happen in a nation, we've got to work from the ground up. It's not a quick fix. It's not throwing money at something. We know that that doesn't work. We know that the answer to poverty is not money. Otherwise, we'd have fixed that a long, long time ago. It's greater than that. And so in focusing on children, if you can help them have a good education, if you can help them to get nourishing food so they become strong, if you can help give them access to health care so they can receive medications where they need it, if you can help them with socio-emotional support, that, that aspect of a child where they may be in poverty but they need to understand that poverty is not in them. There's a crucial difference to be surrounded by something but to know that's not who I am and that's not my future. I can be different because Christ lives in me and I believe for something more. Um, so that socio-emotional side is crucially important as well. So we provide all of that. When you sponsor, that's what you provide every child with. Access to Jesus to hear the message of the gospel. Nourishing food, health care and education and this socio-emotional support alongside all of that. And then finally, we're church-based. Again, this as a pastor got my attention. That those, all those programs that we run, they're not run by compassion, they're run by the local church. It's like you guys being equipped and trained to reach out into your local community and invest in the children and families in your community. That's the local church. So Pat was, was um, just asking me earlier, when can we go and visit? I, I am desperate to take you guys on a trip to visit your sponsor kids because it will really mess you up. Because we need it. We need messing up. We need to realise that the way we live here is a minority. The majority of the world does not live like this. We'll come to that a little bit more in a second. But when you go and visit, you don't see a big sign saying compassion. You just see a sign saying Kenmore Church of Christ or whatever the name of that local church is. So when you sponsor a child, not only you help that child and that family, but you empower the local church to reach out into their community. How good is that? Puts the church on the map. Particularly in nations like Indonesia, that's largely Muslim, where you've got Christians saying, we love your children. We want to support your family. We want to help you. Isn't that the message of the gospel? What I love about the way that compassion works. All right, that's all the good bits. Now, next slide. So as a congregation and as children you support, 356 letters were exchanged in the last 12 months. That's pretty good, isn't it? I think it's a pretty exciting figure until you drill down a little bit. And then you look at that, and this is where people start looking at the floor and the ceiling and don't look at me. So you guys, as a church family, sent 104 letters of encouragement to your kids, but they sent you 252 letters. That's not okay. It's not okay, but if it makes you feel a little bit better, actually, let me take a step back. I don't want to make you feel guilty. That does not work. It doesn't work. But I want to try and explain, unpack about why letters are really important. Newt, who I just mentioned, this sponsored child I had stay with me, when she was sponsored um, from age six right through to 18, she never had one letter from her sponsor. And she described it like this. When the other children would receive their letters, she said, I'd look at their faces and I'd see them smile and their faces would light up. 
as they received encouragement from their sponsor and maybe some stickers or um, little things you can stick in an envelope. And she said, then I would go away and cry, thinking, did my sponsor not love me? That's Newt's story. I've just heard her say that about seven times in the last two weeks. See, she would say this, that although she appreciated, deeply appreciated that her sponsor stuck with her that whole time and regularly and faithfully gave the $48 a month that it takes to sponsor, she said, I am so grateful. She said, but I was desperate to know them. I wanted to know their faces. I wanted to know what they looked like. I wanted to know if they had family. I wanted to know if they had any pets. I wanted to know what the weather was like in their country from France. I wanted to know what part of France they were from. I wanted to know what their ordinary life looked like. And she said, I never knew. Then when she went to university, she had a different sponsor. We did things a little differently then. And she was sponsored from a, a family from another nation. And thankfully, she got a lot of letters. And she said, it made such a difference encouraging me in my walk with God when they would share a Bible verse. They would say they're praying for me and encourage me. And particularly when it was hard and, and I was struggling with my studies, it meant so much. When she was surrounded by poverty all the time and here was somebody drip feeding love from another nation that was seen to be doing well, it meant a lot to her. She contacted that sponsor, found him on Facebook some years later and wanted to tell him what the difference that that um, the letters had made to encouraging her and what she's now doing in her life. And so they conversed over Facebook, and as a result of that converse, conversing, he sponsored two more children. How good is that? A relationship more powerful than poverty. Before we get into the message I want to share, but um, if you go on to the next slide, this um, is a young lady called Lee May. I met her in the Philippines. Had a very similar story to Newt. In fact, we were visiting a church. I'd taken a church, actually Kingaroy Church of Christ. We'd taken them to visit um, their sponsored children in the Philippines. And I ended up for lunch sitting next to this young lady you see on the screen here. Her name, um, Lee May. 18 years old, about to graduate the Compassion Program and couldn't really decide whether to try, to, whether to go, try and go to university or whether to get a job and really help her family. And she was just couldn't decide. And we talked for a while and in that conversation I said, oh, tell me about your sponsor. And she just looked down at her food. Have you ever been to the Philippines? Um, they have this, it's kind of like Macca's, their version of Macca's called Jollibee. And it was her Jollibee lunch and she, I didn't think it was that exciting, but she was staring at it. And I thought, what have I done? What have I said to upset her? And I, I said, I'm sorry if I've upset you. And she said, look, it's just that I don't know anything about my sponsor. I've never had a letter. Here we go again, same story. She said, same thing. Don't they love me? And I tried to fumble some kind of reply to Lee May that said, in the West, we, 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 we live in a materialistic society and we think the answer is stuff. Having stuff having a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger fridge or whatever else it is. It's, it's what we're bombarded with all the time and we think the answer to things is money and we think that that's what you really need. But in the West, we don't realise how important relationship is. It's why there are so many lonely people in our nation because actually it's our poverty. We know a lot of people, but we don't know a lot of people really deeply. And you find that's very different 
in a lot of nations in poverty because you cannot survive without people. In fact, the definition of abject poverty would be having nothing and having no one. And now I really think about that. If I, if I could choose to lose all my possessions or my wife, it's a, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's a no-brainer. Of course, people are more important than stuff. But somehow we don't live that out always that way. So during that conversation with Lee May, I had a phrase that just went round and round in my head as we were talking, and it was this, write her a letter, write her a letter, write her a letter, write her a letter. Couldn't get that out of my mind. And after, after lunch, I went to our van. I didn't have any proper compassion paper. I just had my notebook. I ripped a page out of my notebook, and I wrote her a letter. Then I went and found her. She was down the front of an auditorium, a bit like this, just sitting down the side, talking with some friends. And I went and sat on the platform next to her, and I said, Lee May, I know you've not had a letter from your sponsor, but here's... Here's a letter from someone else from Australia who, who loves you and feels for you and wants to encourage you. And code talk here was a sweaty eye moment for both of us. And the last time I saw Lee May was sitting on the edge of the platform reading my letter as I walked away. But it's not the end of the story because two weeks later I'm back at my, in my office and I get an a, uh, email from Andy Duncan, the pastor at Arana Hills. Not Arana Hills, that's where I was before. Kingaroy, Kingaroy Church of Christ. And he says, Simon, I have an apology to make. One of the students gave me something to give to you um, while we are at one of the projects and uh, they couldn't find you. And I forgot all about it. And it was a letter from Lee May. So she had found a piece of paper, written a reply as an encouragement of what the letter had meant to her. And um, I kept that letter on my desk for a very long time as a reminder of the importance of writing letters. Are you getting the message? The importance of this but you know, it's not the end of the story. This happened in early 2019. And I was at Kingaroy Church of Christ last week. And I was talking with the pastor on Saturday night over dinner. And he said, Simon, do you know a young lady called Lee May? I said, I do. I remember her incredibly fondly. And I've told her story often in churches. She sa he said to me, she's been trying to find you on Facebook because she's graduated the program and she wanted to be in touch with you, so, but she couldn't find you. But she found me, and she asked me to say, would you mind reaching out to her, which I did. I now received another letter from Lee May on Monday, discovering she's now at university, and she wants to go to Thailand to teach English, working alongside a missionary from their church. And she said this to me. In fact, the date on the letter is January last year, because that's when she wrote it. She said, I knew I had to write to you, but I couldn't find you, but I thought, I'm still going to write anyway. And she sent me that letter from a year ago. I hope that in some way, culturally, helps us make the shift. You know, I don't think letters are the best way that we can encourage a child in poverty, but it's the best we've got. I think maybe one day down the track there'll be better ways to do that. But at the moment it's best we've got and I wonder if we can utilise that more. So if you're not writing your letters, if you don't know how to do that online, I do all my letters from my phone. In fact, I've only ever written letters from my phone. I've got my photos there, everything is there. You can put the Compassion um, letter writing website page on your phone so it works like an app. And if that would help you, just come and see me afterwards and I'll gladly show you how to do that. Um, 
maybe right at, at, at dinner time when you're around the table, take a photo of your food. Your food will look different to their food. Tell them about your day. Think of rather than writing a long letter, think about writing like a longer than normal text and do that often and see what starts to happen in a two-way street relationship. And I've put a challenging out to all the churches I now speak in is I'm waiting for the church that can reverse that statistic where the church writes more letters than the children. There's one school in Brisbane that's getting close. It's getting close. So here we go. Your pastor's up for the challenge. Um, but it's about all of us. And hopefully what I've shared there um, will make a bit of a difference. Okay. Um, next slide. Let me just give you a snippet of... Um, Oh, that's the letter, and that's the latest picture of Lee May. Graduates this year. Um, so the kids that are available for sponsoring today at the back, and the majority of you sponsor, are all in Indonesia, um, not that far from Jakarta. That's probably the best way I can just describe it. But I just want to give you a little snippet of Indonesia and what's happened to Indonesia during covid Schools were shut during the COVID period for 22 months. And we thought we had a disruption to education. And if you think where a child doesn't have access to a device or stable Wi-Fi, and they said, well, they had written materials available. Yes, they did. But if, if the parents haven't had a full education, if their education has only gone to primary school, it's hard for them to help their children. And when you're struggling to put food on the table, it's not the first thing on your mind. That, that disruption has caused, will, will cause for the future a big hiccup in that country's economic development because you've got a two-year hiccup to education. And that means children who were due to start school started two years late. Think what that does. How would you feel as a parent in that situation? So where, where we think everyone faced COVID the same, that's not... That's not true. That's not the case at all. The other issue where it's made a big... Um, we still haven't got the, the final figures of this, but is in, in child marriages and adolescent marriages in Indonesia. The figures have gone through the roof. So just to give you... These are rough figures of rounded. So pre-COVID, people that went to the courts to say, my child is under age, under 19, which is their legal marriageable age, under 19, it went to the courts to say, um, my child's under this age, but they want, but I want them to get married. They want to get married. It has to go to court, and the court has to approve that. That the figures there were about 25,000 a year pre-COVID. 2019 figures. 2020 figures were 65,000, and that's horrific. You know, that's horrific. So that's adolescents and even children. But it's not the end of the story because the, the pre again the pre-COVID figures at their last census of, of children or underage children that got married but didn't register through the courts, 400,000. 400,000. Now we have no idea what the post-COVID figures of that is. All we know is it's highly likely to be way higher. Now, the Indonesian government have been doing some things. They have, over time, shifted the marriageable age, have raised that, because it used to be younger for girls, and they've made it now the same as boys to 19, which is a real move in the right direction. That's fantastic. But it's still 
this issue. But if you're a father, if you're a family in poverty and you can't put food on the table and someone offers you a dowry to marry your daughter and you can't eat, what do you do? And that's why that figure has gone up. So just wanted to give you a little bit of a snapshot of what else is happening around the world where a lot of countries aren't like ours. And so um, sponsoring a child can make a huge difference for a family where it provides at least enough for them, that little extra that they need to get through. Okay, um, next slide. So the challenge I put before you this morning about sponsorship is, is that there's a number of you already sponsoring, and, and thank you. That figure, 648 million, is, is going up, and that's the number of people in poverty. Um, that figure was declining from the 90s until pre-COVID, but since from 2020, that this number has been going higher and higher because of the impact still of COVID. Still, there's people out of work um, because of what has happened. If your eyesight's good, if you can see that underneath there, there's a um, figure of $3.11. So that's the, the poverty line translated into our terms. So that's people trying to live on um, less than $3.11 a day. So my challenge for you as a church this morning is this. Could you put aside, if we round that up to three twenty, if you round that figure to $3.20 a day, could you put aside $3.20 a day to help children in poverty? That's what some family are trying to live on. If you did that, that would sponsor two children. So $1.60 sponsors one child a day. So you might already be sponsoring a child and... And I just want to put the challenge before you that maybe, just maybe, you could say, oh, we could sponsor another child. Two weeks ago, I was at a church over in Ipswich. The pastor has five children. He sponsors one child for each of his children. When he said that after a service, a lot of people sponsored multiple children. I think, well, if my pastor's doing that, then, then I'm up for that too. And if he can do that for five children on a pastor's salary, then maybe I can do more, you know, There's those things. You might be in business you might have a capacity to do way more than that, like a business that came to me and said, I want to sponsor 50 children. The amazing thing with that is 50 children being sponsored from one business, but he said, I can't write the letters. So I went to two schools and they write 25 letters each. And what a blessing to the school to say, here's a connection with these children to write the letters for them and here's a company giving what they can do and let's do this together. So you might have a trust fund, you might um, be in a, have a way to, not even with sponsorship, but if, if you'd like no other ways that you can um, do more through the work of compassion, then come speak to me after. I'll gladly um, tell you how you can do that today. Okay, if you could um, jump, the jump the next slide. And um, in my last bit of time, I want to talk about labels this morning. It's said of Christopher Columbus, you know, the explorer, that um, he was very much like a preacher. And when I heard this, I thought, really? Really? How, how, could, how could an explorer like Christopher Columbus be like a preacher? Well, the, um, the answer that I was given in this was, well, when he left, he didn't know where he was going. And when he got there, he didn't know where he was. And when he got back, he didn't know where he'd been. And um, I don't want to be like that as a, a preacher and a teacher. So... Um, in latter times, the older I get, I try and give people, if I can, one word. So if your neighbour comes to you, say, oh, you go to church, what do, they, uh, what do they talk about in church today? 
And he said, oh, there was three brilliant points. They, were, they all started with the same letter, but I just can't remember any of them is, is probably where I would sit with that. But, um, but to go to your neighbour and say, oh, he talked about labels. Labels? Really? What do you say about that then? And you've got this opportunity because hopefully um, the label, the term label at least, will stick. But I hope that's the only thing about that that sticks. So let's um, read from Scripture. So Matthew 16, the words will be on the screen if you want to follow along. But um, if uh, you want to um, follow in your own Bible, please do so. So Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what are people saying about me? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Important verse there. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Labels. Labels. You can go on to that next slide. If you go to a conference, you usually get a label stuck on you or given a badge. If it's a work conference, it will largely be your name and probably what you do, the company you work for. And that's a lot of the questions we ask. Oh, what's your name? And the next question usually we ask is, what do you do? What do you do for a living? It's the two kind of, I guess, most familiar questions we ask in conversations with people. But it's not just at conferences or in conversations like that that we get with the labels. You're labelled as a trader, you're labelled as a health worker or a teacher or, or whatever it might be. And then what we do as human beings, we put you in a box. So you're in the box with the other teachers, you're in the box with the other tradies or whatever else it might be. There was a um, pastor working in Hong Kong and he was struggling with a, with a message, just wasn't coming together, and he decided to go for a walk. So he's, he's in the evening, and he's walking along, and it, on his walk, he walks past a tattoo parlor. And in the window, there's a, a tattoo that's available, and it's this phrase, born to lose. Born to lose. And he's just can't believe what he's seeing or reading. And, and so out of intrigue, he goes in. And he says to the, the tattoo artist, that tattoo in the window, born to lose. And the artist says, yes, take off your coat. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I, I don't want it. But do people really get that tattooed on their body, born to lose? And his reply was this, before tattooed on body, already tattooed on mind. It's poignant, isn't it? Of labels that people might give us or that we give ourselves, that become so stuck that it's almost like they're tattooed on us. When I came to Australia from the UK, if you hadn't picked that up by my accent already, I was given a crash course on Aussie culture by a number of people. 
And I would be really grateful. Three people in particular did that when I became the pastor at Orana Hills Church of Christ. And um, they all shared different things, interestingly, except one similarity. They all told me about tall poppy syndrome. All of them told me about that. So I got the message loud and clear. This is really important. This is a real big deal in Aussie culture. And the essence of what they said was, Simon, if you're doing any kind of public speaking, make sure you put yourself down at the beginning. Do that first. Put yourself down, because if not, they will shoot you down. So I thought, right, okay, I need to get this, um, you know, this tall poppy thing, lop off the head, and let's make sure. So I did a bit of research about tall poppy, where it started, and, and I thought, I like where this came from. The whole thing was, you know, with the convicts coming over, let's, let's start with a level playing field. Let's start together. Let's have this mateship thing that really helps each other out. I thought, that's great. So I, my first Sunday preaching, I um, thought, right, I've got a tall poppy thing to do that first. got my message all lined out. So I said to the church, I said, one of the things maybe you need to know about me is that I'm not great at admin. So I did a little bit about that, and then I got on with my message. Done the tall poppy thing, you know, listened to the cultural thing, did that. I had no idea what church was going to do to me about the fact that I'd said I wasn't good at admin. You see, I kind of got on with life and doing my stuff and doing my pastoring thing and, and all of that. And every now and again, someone would, would say, oh, Simon, your label's curling up a bit. Let me just, uh, yeah, poor admin, let's just make sure that's really clear. And they'd remind me. So I didn't need reminding that I wasn't good at admin. I, I knew that. That's why I told people. I don't need them to keep telling me about it. But then someone else would come along, oh, Simon, that label... Poor admin, it's getting a bit faded. Let me, I've got a marker pen in my handbag. Let me just go over that again and um, put that on for you. It's kind of what it was like. And, and I decided after a while, I thought, I'm over this. I really am over this, and I don't like tall poppy, honestly, because it's, not, it's morphed into something that it was never intended to be. It's, it, it was meant to be something to propel people forward, and now it holds them back. So I um, enlisted the help of a retired CEO of a national company who I knew was really good at administration. I said, can you help me? Long story short, we met regularly. In fact, we were in contact every week for quite a long period of time. And I remember on one occasion, I had our board meeting, so I was sitting down with our elders, and one of the elders started to play the poor admin card again. And he said, yeah, but Simon, you just, you know, you're not so good at admin. And I just stopped him, and I said, Hold on a minute. Can I, I just want to ask a question here. Look at the task list that we have from our elders meeting every, every time we meet, every month we meet. And can you look through the last six months and tell me any time where I've not completed all my tasks in the last six months? And would you look at everyone else of the elders, you included, and see how many of yours are outstanding? The room went really quiet. <laughs> and he apologised. And then I, I said to my old elders, look, this, this is what I've been doing. In fact, my administrator said to me, this was the previous week, I think you're more organised than I am. Because I wanted to change. And I think as believers, we should all be able to change because all the time we should be being transformed. And God's not finished with us yet, whatever age you are. So the exercise I did with my eldership, I then had to do with my local church. So this message, I actually preached at Arana quite some years ago. 
And just the last few months, this theme has come up again and again, and I think it's time to start speaking this around some churches. My local church received it well. They've never said that since. Nobody else has um, said that to me since then. See, in this passage, we've got Jesus saying, what are people saying about me? All kinds of things going on about Jesus. But interestingly, they didn't really pick anything negative. They said, we're like one of the prophets. But they couldn't quite bring themselves to say it was the Messiah. And if you watch any of The Chosen, that's a big deal um, that you'll see portrayed there. And what I love is when, when Peter points out, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus says, this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And anyone can say the words, Jesus is Messiah, to really know it in your heart, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. And you might be someone that, that has struggled in your faith, that you maybe prayed the sinner's prayer some years ago, and you're still floundering around. It's because the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. It started in the 1800s. Happy to chat more about that on another occasion. It doesn't mean that that prayer doesn't work. But it means is that we've, we've put a, we like to put a formula onto something. Do this and you're in. Well, I don't think relationship works like that. I don't think it does. So how come if we pray for someone to be healed, sometimes they're healed, sometimes they're not? Well, do you use a different way of saying God answers that prayer to the sinner's prayer? But it's about relationship. It's the fact that he knows your name and he loves you, as Pat explained so brilliantly before communion, that he loves you in your broken and busted mess. What a saviour. And then what does he say? Seek him. You'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. So you seek him and you just keep seeking and you keep seeking and you keep seeking and you will come closer and closer and closer and closer to him. That's what being a disciple is. In fact, a friend of mine in Bible college, he said, I only ever preached two messages. I thought, what's the secret? I only have to two mes- prepare two messages for any pastor. That would be great, wouldn't it? And he said, my two messages are this, come to Jesus and come closer. I like that. I like that. So who do people say you are? Poor administrator? Always late? Great cook, brilliant mechanic. What are people, who do people say you are, but who do you say you are? See, if I'd, if I'd have stuck with the label that was put on me when I was a child, very, very quiet, very shy, I would never be doing this. If I'd stuck with the label that was car mechanic, really practical, never did really well at school, a bit dyslexic when it comes to numbers. I can remember the numbers, but they're just the order gets mixed up somehow in my head from thinking about it to writing it down. Why well, I struggled in maths. But then I would have stayed in practical work all the time and I would never have done a master's degree in theology. How did that happen? Because it's not about who people say I am or who I say I am. It's about who he says I am. And with him, anything is possible. 
Are you stuck where you are? Stuck in a particular point of life, and, and you could be my kind of age or way younger, but for whatever reason, you're stuck. You know, I love the, one of my favorite movies is Shrek, Shrek 1. Just love that movie. It has so many great one-liners in it. And there's a bit where, if you've not seen it, Donkey and Shrek are walking along together. Shrek's an ogre, and Donkey is a donkey. And they're walking along together, and, and, and Donkey just can't stop talking. And he says, Shrek says, ogres, ogres are like onions. And there's some hilarity. You mean you smell really bad, you know? No, he said, layers, layers. We have lots of layers. And I think, I think people are a bit like ogres, that we have a lot of layers. And life is about peeling off the layers so that somehow we get to know the more of God in us and what he really wants to do in us and, and what's possible when we love him and we can get free from more and more of our hang-ups. Will we be ever free from them all this side of glory? I don't think so. But I just want to get rid of as many as I can and get as close to him as I can. And maybe you resonate with me in that. You know, we all have different gifts, different abilities. And um, it doesn't mean we, ha- we all have to do anything. You, you know, that you think, oh, this person's so good at doing that. It doesn't mean that you've got to be good at doing that. But who does he say you are? Is finding and discovering that. But I just want to, I'll ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I just want to read a few statements out that might help you. We have different gifts. We still have things which are stronger or weaker. But we have to do most things. So you might never be an accountant, but you are called to manage your budget at home. You might never be a CEO of a multinational company, but you are called to lead your family. You might never pastor a church, but you're called to be pastor to your family and your neighbours. You might never play a musical instrument, but you're called to be a worshipper of God. You may never study at Bible college, but you're called to live out the word of God. You may never win MasterChef, but you're called to provide healthy food for your family. You might never be a doctor, but you are called to comfort your family and those around you when they are sick. And you might never be a counsellor, but you're still called to listen to those in trouble. You can look up at me. We could go on and on with that list. But a challenge I want to give you this morning, if if you're married, over lunch today or at some point today, ask your spouse this. What do I need to change in my life that will make your life better? If you're prepared to do that. And spouses, be gracious to each other. Think carefully before you speak. And only ask that question if you're prepared to make the changes that your spouse offers. See, marriage is one of the best discipleship courses I know. Jesus said, I have come that you might have labels. No, he didn't. (laughs) I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And I think for many people, it's time to peel some labels off. Ones that you've put on yourself, like the admin one I've talked about, and the campaign, I'm going to take that off. I don't want that anymore. And maybe other ones that people have put on you 
people who, who maybe abused you, victimized you, and you've lived under the weight of that for a long time. Well, this morning, how about today saying no more? No more. Because he doesn't say that's who you are. And listen to him because he loves you. And he has a plan and a future for you and a hope for you. And there's a call on your life. See, people in poverty, it's really hard to dream big when the poverty label is stuck on you. So in sponsoring a child, what you're doing actually is starting to peel off that label, get the edges loosened up. It takes time to get that label off. And there's opportunity to do that by way of response this morning. So there's three things where you can respond. One is sponsor a child or maybe a second child. Another response is to go home to your family or some people you trust and love and say, what, can I, what needs to change in my life? What are people saying about me that's not good and that I need to change? And thirdly, there might be something that's just so deeply stuck in you that you really think, I need some help. There's opportunity this morning, just as we come to worship in the next song, just come down to the section over here and there'll be some people there who would love, just love to pray with you and just stand with you as part of your seeking him to let him start to peel off that label that your life might be different and start to shift and change from today. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us as we um, close. The worship guys will lead us in worship, maybe ministry team, if you could get yourselves over there, please, so you're ready. Do you know, taking one step out from a row can be one of the hardest things to do. But you know, this is, it's about the fact that Jesus loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. And he showed the nth degree of his love by dying on the cross, his son dying for you because he has a hope and a plan for you. There's no one like you. He made you and broke the mold, not because he didn't like you, but because he liked you. And we're all unique, we're all different. But the world says we've got to try and be like each other. Be yourself. Be who he's making you to be. And if you need a little bit of help, just someone to stand with you, someone to mark the occasion and say, I've made a decision to start peeling that label off. But would you stand with me? Would you pray for me? Because I know that when I get outside those doors, I'm going to need a whole lot of help. I think we're all in that together. So let me pray. And then um, as soon as we start to sing, please go and make use of these great people over there who would like nothing more than to stand and pray with you. Father, thank you that you loved us first before we could ever love you back. Thank you, Jesus, for your example where you would touch a leper before you healed them because you loved them as they were, not just when they were clean. Thank you, Jesus, that, that when that, that woman reached through the, the crowd and touched your cloak because she longed to be healed from this bleeding disorder that she had, that you weren't content with that. You called her back because you didn't just want her healed. You wanted her whole Oh, Jesus, you want the same for us. You want us to be fully functioning human beings who are healthy in our emotions, healthy in our minds, healthy in our spirit. Jesus, but we know what we're like and we know we really need help. 
So, Father, thank you so much for pouring out your spirit. The paraclete, the helper, the counsellor, the teacher, the one alongside. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. And I pray, precious Holy Spirit, you'd help people to, to go and ask for prayer this morning. You'd help people by um, asking that hard question to my spouse. What do I do that really frustrates you? How can I change and show my love for you in that way? Holy Spirit, we need your help there because we know what we're like. So we come to you humbly in humility, thanking you for your grace and your mercy, your love and your kindness, and saying thank you, Father, for your promise to never leave us or forsake us, to walk with us always. Father, we are so grateful. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.